Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Ah, yes, sign JT. Welcome to another episode of Crossed Up. I am Bob Wankel. I am joined today by Russ Joy, who is once again filling in for Anthony Sanfilippo. So it is Russ, and it's myself holding it down here for a fresh episode of Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast. A lot going on down at a vacant Citizens Bank Park. Over the last couple days, you just heard that drop in there. Sign JT, sign JT. We'll get to that in a minute. And everything else that I've noticed down at the stadium, not too many people down at Citizens Bank Park at that press box right now. I got to say, there's like five, six guys every night. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to be one of them, so I will certainly tell you everything that I'm seeing down there. That was not to pat myself on the the back, but um, I I think I do have a little bit of a perspective as to what is happening at Philly's camp right now. So we'll definitely get to all that in a minute. Russ, what's up? How are you? Thanks for joining me again. It's, It's always good to see you and your face on Zoom. First of all, that I love the fact that uh, that sounded like a Jim Rome intro as you uh, were just leading to me. What is going on? You know, a little basin uh, voice. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's good to be with you. Hashtag San Philip bros back at it again. I, uh, I hear that Anthony's coming back from uh, Siberia. Yes. Going to be back with you later this week and is going to do a snow the goalie this week. Uh, I'll tell you what. I, it's great to see your glowing, smiling, radiant face as always, but there's nothing quite like getting on Zoom and having Anthony's face fill up half the screen as he leans in and chomps on his microphone. But hey, there's a lot going on in Philly's land. And God, I'm so happy to see that you're down there. And I'm, I'm going to tell the people a real quick little thing thing. I didn't, I didn't want this to be a thing. And I, I apologize in advance that it is. But uh, there was a certain sadness I felt because... Um, I was really close to passing in followers on Twitter. I was so close. And I wasn't going to tell you. I was going to have it be a secret. I was very excited. And then you said, hey, I got, I got access to go down to the park. And I went, son of a damn. And I'm like, maybe, maybe it'll happen. Like, maybe I'll ride the tide. Flyers fans will lift me up and over. I'll be able to have one moment where I go, hey, Bob, look at followers. It's going to be a great second. And then you're going you're gonna to blast off to the moon. No, you go down. Given the best coverage, I will say, once again, Bob Wankel, the best coverage. Obviously, people listen to the show. They follow you. But I need everybody who listens to this show to retweet the crap out of Bob at Bob Wankel CB on Twitter. You've got to let all your friends, all your family know that Bob is where it's at for Philly's coverage, out there popping out the videos, the pictures, the insight. He's running, like, the Crossing Broad social media accounts, you know, putting hashtag content out there. And I watched your follower count just skyrocket, and I was like, I'm not catching you now. Yeah, you would think the way that you're telling this story that I'm at like 60,000 followers. (laughs) Should be. Somewhere in like the 3,700s. But no, actually, it's funny. Because the Phillies have not streamed these scrimmages, the you know fans want to see what's going on like they want to see Aaron Noel throw the ball they want to see Bryce Harper take batting practice and they want to see yep. these head-to-head matchups that are going on down there and uh, for whatever reason the Phillies aren't doing it a couple teams are uh, streaming both uh, on local uh, networks and uh, YouTube but the Phillies are not doing it so mm-hmm. my mentality going in and I, I cleared it with Phillies PR I just said you know, I'm not going to stream it. It's not like I'm going to open up Periscope and just show you a live feed of what's going on. But like, do you guys mind if we clip, uh, you know, content down there and all the writers that are there are doing it, but I've just kind of made it a priority to really show the people rather than say, you know, uh, it's, it's Spencer Howard versus Alec Boom, uh, Alec Boom grounded out. Like here it is. This is what it looks yep. like. And obviously it's not an ideal look from the press box you wish you had the center field camera like you see on tv but it's nice to just kind of give people a little bit of a feel for what's going on down there because there's been so few looks and really in in recent days 
there's been less and less people down there. I think like on uh, any given night over the last three or four nights, there's really only been like six, seven reporters max Sunday night, especially the first night game. There was like, I think four of us. So it's a good opportunity for me from a personal standpoint to kind of build a little bit of a base, a little bit of a following base, because I think I'm giving people something that, that, you know, they want to see, but more than anything, um, it's, it's just been a really weird experience. You heard the lead in sign JT sign JT uh, Sunday night. I mean, like I said, there was nobody there. Uh, you know, had, you had the players on the field, you had the coaching staff down on the field, and then you had the four or five of us in the press box and that was it. And these three kids roll up outside the stadium and they're beyond the gates of Ashburn alley looking in and you could hear them chanting sign JT sign JT. So I tweeted it out. I said some three kids on bikes just rolled up. And it was funny, like an hour or two later, one of them found my tweet, quote tweets it and says, yes, sir, that was us. And it turns out it was like three Newman Goretti baseball players. And I was like, I, I wrote the story. I just like did a quick little post. And I think their head coach or whoever runs the school's official account was like, yep, that's us. Like we bring that type of energy. That's why we've won three PCL championships the last 10 years. And all ja, ja. it was pretty funny. I enjoyed it. Uh, so it's like stuff like that, that is just so unique and bizarre about this season. Uh, and I mean, it's, it's definitely been one of the weirder and more strange parts about camp so far, for sure. So have you noticed any kind of, of real difference around the park going down the, the last week or so? Like, Obviously, those guys were out there yelling, sign JT. You did a post on the site about billboards, you know, a billboard truck driving around. But, like, have you noticed anybody out at Ashburn Alley or noticed anybody at the gates, even as you're going in, that people are just trying to sneak a peek like there's the real hunger for baseball and people are going out of their way to, to almost tailgate it? Or does it, is it just as, as vacant as you would expect? It's just as vacant as you would expect. I mean, there's there's really not anybody. I mean, like like I said, a couple kids drive by and or you know ride by with bikes and stuff like that, and they're trying to get a peek in. But no, I mean, there's not like a, a throng of Phillies fans out in P lot, you know, or whatever, you know, trying to get a glimpse into the stadium. Um, it, that that part of it's been a little bit strange. I, I will say. From what I'm being told, the it looks like, and Tom McCarthy actually tweeted this uh, last night, but I think that when they play the Orioles on the 19th, on Sunday night, it's a 6.05 start time. I believe that's going to be the first time that fans are going to get a look at the Phillies on television. Um, like I said, they're not scream, uh, streaming these scrimmages, but uh, though it's not been officially put out there, it looked like uh, T-Mac basically said, there's a chance that, that they may broadcast the game on Sunday night. So I'm kind of curious to see that, but it's, it's one of the things that's really strange about what's happening with these restarts right now. Like under normal circumstances, you know, flyers camp just opened up. The mm -hmm. Sixers are getting back to work in Orlando and there would be all of this video. There would be all of this coverage. And right now, even though the Phillies are giving us this access, it just is like, it's, I think, as a fan, kind of strange. Like, I know it's happening, and I'm hearing some things, and I'm reading some things, but it, it is just different. And I think the way that everyone is limited to, to just Zoom calls and things like that, you don't get to saddle up next to players and maybe get some things that, that you wouldn't – or that you would normally, like, otherwise be able to get. And so it's it, – I think we're all just still in this adjustment phase here from a coverage standpoint. Yeah, and I will say that, like, I've noticed a, a massive difference here trying to cover two teams remotely now because the the Philadelphia Union, I think the way that they're doing it, like there are no reporters down there uh, in the bubble with the union that I know of. Um, and and it's it's kind of expected, right? Because MLS is, is, its, is its own thing. And even in the Philly market, like there's that diehard base, but that's not going to pay the bills. And I don't even know if the, I don't think the athletic even has anybody who covers the union. So like that's its own thing. But like there's, they've done an interesting job of trying to keep reporters feeling like they're there by giving us access to like the MLS media center with all of the, the videos and um, pictures and everything from practice. And then like the zoom availabilities have been, have been decent. Um, but NHL side, man, I will say that like the difference between what you're able to get access to and like, I can't understate this. I'm just going to keep patting you on the back, but like, the idea that the Phillies have let a guy in who writes for a blog where traditionally the Phillies have had a real issue with blogs going down and covering the team, even on a game by game basis, let alone like a full season credential. Like you've got like 
the fact that you're down there and that you've kind of bucked that trend and you're able to provide video is huge. The NHL, which is usually really good about blogs and the Flyers who are fantastic, like the, the PR department of the Flyers, absolutely fantastic. It's a big reason why we've had so much success over on Snow the Goalie and with the site. But like the NHL put this rule in place that the only people who can go down and cover training camp are the people who like are the traditional um, beat guys who are down there for practice every day, which by virtue of my job, I can't be down there during the regular season, which sucks because now I'm off. And I could theoretically be down there covering training camp, but the, the league has a, a ban on anybody who's not, you know, a, a full beat guy, which sucks because you would think that the goal would be to try to get as much video and as much hype and excitement around the team as possible. And it, we we're, we're locked out. We so, did. So two, things, so two things about that. Number one, uh, I'll start by saying the Phillies PR department has been outstanding throughout all of this, just in terms of making sure that everybody's comfortable, everybody has the access that they, they can give within reason while keeping everyone safe. And the Phillies have sort of, I think, um, evolved, I guess is the word, in recent years. I think that they are starting to understand like that, that blogs have a, an extreme importance in the way that the team's covered, so much so that – there are some other sites that have gained access to these practices and these scrimmages uh, this season. And I don't want to say that we were the first blog to get consistent access and maybe we set a good standard. I have no idea, but it seems like the Phillies are kind of turning the page on their policy about admitting blogs and, and, you know, media that is not legacy media into uh, their, uh, the press box. Mm-hmm. The question I have for you, I, I find the NHL's policy to be bizarre um, is it about a specific number? I mean, is it, why do you think that they're taking that mentality? Like if, if you're admitted game credentials and you guys are down there every night, everyone knows who you are. You're, I would say more of the established part of the flyers media at this point, what is there to be gained by, by keeping out people that on a normal Tuesday back in December wouldn't be at skate zone? Like what is that about? What's the idea behind it? Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's weird because I know like Anthony kind of, worked some of his San Filippo magic um, getting us access to the zoom call for practice, which is another thing entirely because all off season when we've had press conference or, or availability or whatever with players during the pause, it was anybody who had a credential could get on a, a zoom call. Really? It was just an audio thing. There was no video component to it, but like to get on a, a zoom call and ask questions, do whatever. And like, okay, I think we talked about it even on this show, but like most of the questions are repetitive, redundant and kind of stupid, but like, whatever, at least you have the access. What we found out the other day was that like, we weren't even going to be able to be on the live zoom call, which is insane. And I think that's very interesting. And I know a bunch of other people that cover the team that kind of serve in a similar capacity to the way that like, it's a, it's a side thing. It's a part-time thing. Kind of like what, what I do and even what Anthony does. Um, Anthony, I think kind of worked his magic in, you know, saying that like we were the number five hockey podcast in the country. Like you can't, the idea of trying to lock that kind of coverage out. And like, we do the, the social media side of that coverage better than anybody. I will easily put us up against anyone. And I think that part of it is a numbers thing. I think there is an inherent difference between a press box at citizens bank park that is certainly more spacious and can be spread out a lot better than like, at least for the flyer side of things like skate zone, isn't that big. And honestly, the skate zone press box is really small. I mean, to put it in perspective, uh, you know, for, for your purposes, it's kind of like the size of like half of the old crossing broad office. (laughs) If we knocked all the walls down, it's not big. And I don't know where they're setting the reporters up, but like, I think there might've been eight guys down there yesterday. The problem is, like we run into this tech issue because the way that they're trying to run their zoom things now it's, you know, uh, anytime you, you have like two devices, anything, anybody who's like, listened to this, who's like tried to switch on a zoom call where you've got your laptop and you've got your phone and you're trying to switch and there's that reverb feedback. That's what we've been dealing with because all of the legacy media people who are like my parents age, they don't totally understand like the concept of, of uh, feedback loops. So it's just horrible echo, horrible reverb. And you're trying to get a question and like the hands up and hands down. Like, honestly, it's one of the funniest things, but it kind of speaks to like a, a bigger issue at hand, which is like, there's, 
I think there's probably a way that we could have done it and we could have spaced out and like utilized the bleachers and everything at skate zone, but it, it wasn't a flyers call. It was an NHL call. I just think that like, ultimately there probably was a way to, to do it. And, and you really want to try to build on it, knowing that like when these teams go to their hub cities in the NHL's case, like these reporters aren't going to be there. Most aren't the, the NBA price for sending a, a reporter into the bubble is $550 a day. There is no legacy media outlet, at least in the city of Philadelphia, that can or should be sending anybody down. And, and again, that's where baseball, I think, is so different, that you on your own accord can go down. They can let you in. It's a bigger, spacious area for you to, to go into. And nobody has to pick up your tab. You know, all of these indoor sports, you, you know, you're kind of screwed. And it's, it's, a, uh, it's a financial catastrophe for any outlet that would want to send their reporter for inside access oh by the way there's no access to the players like you mentioned what i'm interested to see is will this be used to set a precedent moving forward of how these teams are covered to say almost like hey listen you know i know in the past that we used to just let the locker room open and and you guys can mosey about and do what you need to do are we going to go back to that same access point in 2021 if, if everything's safe or in 2022 or are teams going to say you know what we can pick two or three people to make available via Zoom and you can stay in the press box and you can simply ask your questions there. Um, I don't know yet. And I don't think that some teams are so like diabolical that they're like, yes, this is the opening that we've been long waiting for to, to keep reporters out. I think a lot of teams understand the industry. I think that a lot of teams understand that though they may not always like the messaging that comes out from media members, that it's, it's part of the cycle. Like that coverage is almost inherently free advertising for their product and for their teams and for their brands. So, you know, these two entities feed off of one another, but I do wonder if access moving forward across these sports will be altered in the long run. Um, and, and it's way too early to know that. So there's really no sense in speculating about it too much right now, but it is something that has crossed my mind as uh, we're in the early days of this camp. Well, it was, it was a thing that initially came out that there was a fear, especially on the NFL side. Like you have to remember like the NFL, just by virtue of its size and scope and, and, and audience that, you know, you get 70 writers down there. That's, that's no big deal, right? Like that's just a normal day at Eagles camp. Um, there was a legitimate fear that the NFL would look to adopt a policy going forward that doesn't grant locker room access. And like some people would probably say like, what's the point? Um, you know, there, there are some people who subscribe to the notion that getting quotes and, and having quotes kind of as the basis for your story is nonsense and, and really isn't something that you should do. Um, but, you know, we've talked about this before. There, there's something that, that you can't quantify about being able to talk to a player on the side and have a conversation about like what they saw. There are guys that like, you're just not going to get access to. Like, I don't know how it works for the Phillies for who becomes available after games, but for like the flyers, for example, um, we submit a list. There's a, uh, like one of the PR guys comes around. He asks who you want to get access to. He takes around the list. Uh, you know, some people say yay to someone nay to, to another. And they usually come up with a list of like six players. And, and that's how that works. And anybody else that you would want to hear from, you've got to try to track down in the locker room. You have to hope that they're hanging back and that they're willing to, to talk to you about, you know, give you some insight into like where a play went wrong or what went right if the rest of the media corps didn't choose them. It, it would be setting a really bad precedent. And like, I don't think people will understand just how big of an absence that is until it's gone right. and like doesn't come back. Yeah, so, no, I, I agree with that. You know, hopefully um, it doesn't change. As far as what we've seen down at the stadium, like we have this baseball season that's less than two weeks away, and it's always been like this theoretical, like will they get it off the ground? How will baseball survive in the wake of what happened over the past few months and the owners and the players, and is baseball ruined forever? And one thing that has sort of become clear to me, and though there have been uh, some hiccups for sure, and I think that's probably putting it loosely in terms of the testing and, and what's happening in terms of the protocols across baseball, but here in Philadelphia, everything has been, for the most part, knock on wood, pretty tight. Things are going well. Um, I don't see 
from fans and, and, and as we've gotten into this thing, I don't see this hesitation so much anymore about will this season happen and will fans care about it? Like that was the question that we were asking ourselves a week ago, two weeks ago, especially as this thing first got off the ground. Now, once these teams start traveling from city to city, I think that there still remain a lot of logistical issues. And you and I both talked about that in the last episode. So I don't want to belabor the point, but right now I feel pretty good overall about the progress and that the way things, at least on a micro level here in Philadelphia have progressed, that this season is going to happen. And surprisingly, and I think you would agree to this, it seems like there's actually some genuine interest in baseball right now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of like the old adage of, of saying you don't care about something until it comes back around. It's kind of like when you go through a bad breakup and you're like, I don't care about her anymore. She can go kick stones for all I care. And then she likes one of your pictures on Facebook. And you're like, I don't know. Maybe there, you know, <laughs> there were... That it's, one like in the Instagram scroll just kind of yeah, like, you're like, you're like, like, screw her. I don't ever see her again. And then like, she likes one of your pictures and you're like, you know, there were some good times. <laughs> there, were, there were some yeah. really magical moments that we shared on a beach at Ocean City. And then all of a sudden, baseball. I'm done with baseball. Kind of, you see Bryce Harper hit a, a BP home run and you go, Ooh. yeah, you, it like kind of rekindles the magic. And I think that's kind of what baseball fans especially were feeling. Like, I, I think people felt betrayed because the owners and the players screwed it so bad. But listen, like the sport comes back and all of a sudden everything changes. I think that like we're about to see potentially the biggest boom in scene in our young lifetimes. I mean, if you think about where we're going to be, even say the month of September, the NHL and the NBA are going to be in playoff mode. Major League Baseball is going to be in the, in the, the thickest part of, of their schedule, right? The NFL is going to be close to come. When does the NFL schedule actually start? I believe it's like the second week of September. Yeah, so NFL is going to be going up. If you're a soccer fan, MLS is going up. I think most of the the uh, European leagues are going to be going. I think the Champions League is going to be going on. Uh, if you're a Masters tennis fan, there's, there's, there's tennis, there's horse racing, there's golf. Like all of these things could all happen at the same time in a way we've never seen it happen before. And so like I look at the, I look at the schedule right now, right? If you're flipping through channels or you pull up your guide because you're a cord cutter like a, like a smart progressive person, there are games on, if you are a sports fan, if you are just a general sports fan, there are games on throughout the day if you know what you're looking for. When we are like two weeks away from baseball coming back, just imagine how insane this is going to be because both the NBA and NHL are going to be running games pretty much all day. All of these soccer leagues are going to be running games morning, noon, and night. Baseball, you think, is going to have to be looking to stagger some of their games because they're going to want a market share. It doesn't make sense to have all Major League Baseball games go off at 1 o'clock or 7 o'clock, right? No, but like, I will tell you, I was very surprised when the Phillies released the time times of their games. Uh, the vast majority of them are night games, and I did think that we may see uh, a little bit more of a unique spacing in terms of of start times but I think ultimately what that comes back to though you don't want to necessarily compete against other sports if you're a network when do you when do you want those games you want those games on when people are going to be at home and ultimately more often than not that's going to be in prime time that's going to be at seven o'clock eight o'clock and so it's it's kind of interesting that there are as many night games as as there are currently on the schedule I was I was surprised by that originally but then the more I thought through it you know I I do get that well let me propose this to you because I don't think the schedule actually matters I don't think that any of it's going to matter because I think that there is a realistic possibility that in a month something goes sideways with the way that MLB is doing this and I think that based on the way that COVID numbers might spike in certain cities, they're going to have to put real thought into doing something similar to a hub city like the rest of these sports have done. I wonder if the facility that like ESPN Wild World of Sports has, if that's going to end up being a conversation. And I think that at some point we could see a scenario where like Major League Baseball is going to have to look at changing some of these start times because they're going to have to stagger games in the same stadiums. Maybe. Like, I got to say, I think that this to me, um, 
one, I would be surprised if they have that contingency plan in place, but if they, if they are going to do that, that needs to be, that, that story needs to be unearthed because if that were to work, that, that needs to have been done already. Like that plan has to have already been laid out. Like, Oh, we could always hit the plan B button because they're not going to be able to do that in time. Like you're not just going to be able to wake up one day and say, Hey, you know what? Uh, we noticed the uh, St. Louis is going through quite a spike right now. We can't play games there. Sorry. Like that's not going to work. Like I know that you have concerns about this plan and, and the travel in and out of cities and the ability for, for the league to kind of take off. I think that baseball expects positive tests. I think that they're going to put their head down and, and you have to understand too, that there are, there is a, a 50, three-man roster right now for the for the Phillies there's a 60-man player pool and I, I think that baseball is is kind of and you can say this is gross and you can say this is a terrible thing and this isn't the way that you should look at it but I think for the most part if guys are presenting very mild symptoms or asymptomatic that teams are going to probably withstand six or seven positive tests at a time and baseball will continue to play through it um you know, that's part of the deal. You know, will guys start opting out? Will this thing kind of just unravel as it moves forward? I, I guess it's entirely possible, but I think that the way that baseball has constructed this plan, it's, it's either it gets to its, you know, its finish line as, as currently constructed or it's going to bust. I don't believe that there's a hub city plan in place. I don't think that they're going to pivot. I think they, they want to get this thing done by October and any delay in the schedule is just going to be a situation where they say, we just have to scrap it. At least we tried. Okay. Yeah. That's just, that's the way I, I look at it. I don't, I don't believe that there's going to be a, I, it's, it's a boomer bust scenario and it, it very well could bust. I think that if they don't have a contingency in place, they, they've really messed up. I, like even, even, even in a worst case scenario, like they, they would pare it down to like two or three stadiums within each region. Right. Since the East the the East, West is West. Like the, the, these sides didn't need to play this season to begin with. Like when it was all said and done, when everybody was pissing and moaning about these two sides going back and forth, it was this idea that, that baseball owed Americans a game, you know, Mm -hmm. and a distraction and hope and all of those other trite cliche storylines and narratives that we like to create baseball can say we gave it a go players can say we gave it a go and you know what it just wasn't meant to be and we'll see you down in in florida and arizona in february and yeah you know it sucks to say that but i don't believe that baseball and and some fans may take exception to this idea for me but i don't think that baseball really owes anybody anything beyond and I, i mean that in terms of both the players and owners both sides. I don't think that either side owes the fans anything beyond what they're already giving. They're giving it a go. They're trying it. If it doesn't work, okay. You know who doesn't owe us anything, but like I feel like we owe the world to? Andrew McCutcheon. Because Andrew McCutcheon is probably the most likable guy. I mean, Bryce Harper, obviously there, there's a huge likability factor. But something about Andrew McCutcheon as a human being as a guy on social media and like watching him, what was it the other day he took a walk and he drew a walk and then he just kind of sauntered down the line and then started dancing on first base. Like this is a guy that I know when he signed, there were, there were some people who kind of thought that he was, you know, he's kind of towards the the end of his career. He's certainly not in his prime anymore. What are the Phillies doing? Is he really going to be that much of it? He can't really be an impact player. Is he really going to bring that much to the table? And to me, like, you need a fun guy in the locker room, right? Like, you need somebody to be like that. You need, like, a Tobias Harris for the Sixers, who's the guy who's the glue guy. You need a Kevin Hayes, like the Flyers, somebody who brings levity to the locker room and, like, in the midst of a losing streak can, can try to, like, turn some frowns upside down and, and, and try to bring something to the locker room that, that breaks up the monotony of the schedule. Like, it can't be understated how – or overstated. I've been thinking about this a lot. I think I've been using this incorrectly. It doesn't matter. There's a real stress around pro athletes and, and the travel and in between stadiums and hotels and everything. It's, it's going to creep into their minds. Um, you know, whether they all come out and admit it or not, having somebody that's in your locker room or, or in your clubhouse that can kind of help keep your mind off of that so that you don't kind of fall into like a, a crippling 
depression of sorts is massive. And now more than ever in these unprecedented times, you need somebody like Andrew McCutcheon on your team. And, you know, hats off. Hats off for the signing. I 100% agree with that. Uh, he is the type of guy that, that kind of can bring that energy, bring a positive vibe to a clubhouse. And it's something that I thought last year, and I know that he was around after his injury, but when a guy's hurt and he's going through rehab, he's not going to be as present. He's not going to take on mu- as much of a role in that regard. And I think that the 2019 Phillies, in their laundry list of issues, one of the things that I, I think was overlooked to an extent was this lack of clubhouse energy, like this this lack of veteran presence and leadership and just kind of a looser vibe it wasn't a very fun clubhouse at times and and he I think uh you know does a great job in in kind of keeping that energy up now a funny story the other night about Andrew McCutcheon who by the way from a baseball standpoint to me looks really good he homered last night in the scrimmage uh off of Cole Irvin uh to, to start things in the bottom half of the first inning went out to center field he's hit the ball with authority he does look healthy to me I I expect Andrew McCutcheon to have a good season here in 2020 um Marcus Hayes was in the press box on Sunday night and I don't know exactly what Marcus was uh writing about but I think we were talking, Marcus and me were talking, or Marcus and I were talking, and he was looking at the players with face masks, and he was asking questions on the Zoom calls about face masks. So I think that he was looking at more of like the COVID-19 angle of things, but he tweets out in the middle of Sunday night scrimmage, Andrew McCutcheon coming off knee surgery, doubles to left field, but kind of hobbles into second base, waves off a replacement. And I noticed it too. Like I noticed that he kind of like didn't go hard as hell into second base. And I just said, eh, okay. Like I just thought he was kind of like pulling up casually. So Andrew McCutcheon, mm-hmm. after the scrimmage, jumps on Twitter, sees the quote uh, or su- sees Marcus Hayes' tweet and then quote tweets it and says, I don't know the hobble you speak of. Maybe that's my swag level on 100 pulling into second for a stand up in caps double and depth didn't wave off a replacement. I know it's hard to see things from the suites, but let's not start things that aren't true. And, and you know what, like, by the way, I like Marcus Hayes and uh, him and I have, have talked quite a bit actually via Twitter when I've seen him in person, always a really nice guy. I, I understood where Marcus was coming from with that observation, but I, I also didn't really make too much of it. And Andrew McCutcheon was just like all over that. He's like, Nope, that's just my, that's just my swag level on 100. So uh, don't fear if you're worried about Andrew McCutcheon. He did actually talk to reporters the other day and basically said that, you know, obviously this is a, a far from ideal scenario. You want to play 162 games. This has been a, a mess and everything that has happened with baseball happened across the world with this pandemic. But in a way, from a personal standpoint, it's been a good thing because it has not you know, it's allowed him to take his time and doing the work that he's needed to do to get back and be fully healthy without rushing it. And he basically admitted as much. If if they had started playing March 26th like they were supposed to, he probably would have tried to speed up the process, may have pushed things a little bit, and may not have, would have been... re-injured himself or picked up a new injury. Yeah, and, and too, yeah. that's that would have been the reality of the situation. So at least from Andrew McCutcheon's perspective and his ability to contribute for an entire season this has been somewhat helpful. So that's definitely one thing that's been a huge positive for this team, I would say, in the first week plus of this camp. Can I uh, – I, I just want to bring this up really quickly since you mentioned homering. I saw that uh, your boy, Jack Fritz, put out a, a thing, and I think you put the video out, that uh, Andrew Knapp hit a homer off of Spencer Howard, and I'm pretty sure that uh, a lot of people were weeping openly about it. Is it possible that Matthew Klintak – Matt Klintak himself. I made a Bible verse up, 3-2. Uh, Matthew Klintak, 3-2. Um, I don't think too many people repent, are repent, repent for the kingdom of Nap is at hand. Is it possible that Klintak saw that home run and said, you know what? This is why we don't need to sign JT, because we've got an AK of our own. Like, I don't mean any of this, but yeah, I hope does not. it – does it make you excited as a Phillies reporter to see Andrew Knapp hit a home run and solidify himself as the true number one catcher on this team? Yeah. 6-1-0, no. 6-3. No, it doesn't. No? Uh, listen, one thing I will say about Andrew Knapp, uh, but I get 
I get fans uh, maybe not being thrilled that, that Andrew Knapp is, is still on this team, but he has actually had a nice uh, little summer camp here. A lot of – we're talking about, like, energy with Andrew McCutcheon. Andrew Knapp sort of is, is the same type of guy. He's been, like, cracking jokes down on the field. He's been bouncing around a little bit. He's, he took one out the opposite field the other day off of Spencer Howard. Like, he's had – He's getting too o- comfortable. He's had, like, an okay camp. I, I don't know. Like, I don't think Andrew Knapp's going to play very much. I mean, if JT Romuto's healthy, he may start – eight games maybe uh but you know it's kind of interesting like when you really take everybody out of of the stands and you you strip it down to bare bones you start to see the personalities of certain guys and this is like a dangerous thing as a media person like you have to you have to cover it the way that you see it and by any objective measure you you would admit that Andrew Knapp was was a bad baseball player last year. He was a, he was a poor hitter. Uh, it seemed like every time he was up in a situation where he could do some damage, he, he didn't do it. Um, he's an okay defensive catcher. He's not, uh, he doesn't really have anything that any quality or trait that stands out. That being said, he's okay. Like getting crazy over the backup catcher on a team is, is like kind of goofy. Like fans tend to fixate and pick out guys that they, they really, they just like kind of irk them. And I feel like that Andrew Knapp for a lot of people, both in the media and in terms of fans have, has become that guy. And then, but when you strip it all down and you kind of like you're around him a little bit, like in the clubhouse last year, and then you, you see him in these practices, like you get why his teammates like him so much. And I don't know if you can speak to that about like guys on the flyers are like, this guy's not very good, but they, they, all these dudes love him. Like Reese Hoskins loves him. I think Bryce Harper really. Oh, I thought, I'm sorry. I thought, I thought you were just going to say Reese Hoskins because he's really not that good, but people like him. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> well, Reese Hoskins in a minute. We could, we can talk about that, but I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that like, I, I get I get why the Phillies like him. I get why his teammates like him, and he's he's okay. Like, leave Andrew Knapp alone. Okay, so let me just present this to you. Let me. There was a time where New England Patriots fans thought that Drew Bledsoe was great, and there there was this little known Mister Irrelevant quarterback drafted, sitting there behind him. Guy goes on to be the greatest quarterback of all time. All I'm saying is maybe you move on from JT Realmuto. And Andrew Knapp <laughs> ends up becoming Mike Piazza. I'm just saying, like, there's a possibility. Right, right? I'm done with this. Let's move yeah, on. Yeah, okay. I can't, I can't even. Speaking just, of JT Realmuto. I just Real my mouth a little bit. I, sorry. Yeah, I know you're not, not buying that. Speaking of JT Realmuto, uh, we've now moved to the phase. We talked about the kids outside the stadium chanting, sign JT. We are now moving on to the billboard phase of the JT Realmuto hysteria. I don't know if you saw last night. I think Todd Zalecki was the first one to actually tweet it out. I had a reader email me uh, some pictures that he was able to snag outside of Citizens Bank Park, but there was a truck. And I don't know the site. I think it was like fansofphila.com or something like that. I want to make sure that I acknowledge that, that website. But they decided to invest some cash in putting a billboard on the side of a truck that said it would be terrible and sad to borrow the words of Bryce Harper. The Phillies did not sign JT Real Muto. I just want to offer this opinion about JT Real Muto. He is the best catcher in baseball. Um, I still believe that the Phillies are going to get something done with him. I know that right now it's easy to say, Hey, listen, this should have been done. This should have been done in March. Um, and you had three months to kind of during this dead period where you couldn't make transactions to get on the same page and, and really sort of figure out what the market may look like and come to a quick decision leading into the season. And JT's here for five, six years and away we go in 2020. That's just not the reality of the situation. And I I've said this and I've said it a few times now, but I'm going to say it again because I truly believe it. The economics of baseball is in a complete state of flux right now. The coronavirus impact financially to these owners, to these players, it's real. It's going to have an impact on the upcoming free agency market. It's going to dictate what teams are willing to spend. And I know that fans simply want to say, hey, it's not my money. These guys have billions of dollars. Just sign them. 
and I know that there's no salary cap in baseball, but you have to understand that there's market realities and you have to adhere at least in some regard to market realities. And so the reality of the situation has changed. It doesn't necessarily mean that the Phillies don't want to sign JT Real Muto, but if JT Real Muto wants to break Joe Mauer type records, if he wants to be in that same level and get similar money as Paul Goldschmidt got and Zach Wheeler got five years, $118 million, that's a consideration that the Phillies really have to think about now in light of the new realities of the market. Do you want to give a catcher 23 million dollars over five to six years is that a wise investment moving forward is jt real muto at 33 or 34 going to be the best catcher in baseball like i know he's the best catcher in baseball right now there's no doubt about it he's a good player but what's that going to look like in three or four years from now if you're paying a guy 23 million dollars he's 34 and he's hitting 252 with 20 homers because like that's realistic He's not going to continue on an upward trajectory here. So all I'm saying is, is that it's a complicated negotiation. And while I will be the first to kill the Phillies front office for all of their shortcomings, and there are many, I can't get insane about the fact that JT Real Muto remains unsigned. And oh, by the way, what is the payoff for JT Real Muto to say, hey, Phillies, give me your best offer. Let's just sign it now. Why not play the market? Why not see what's going to happen? And then if you do have a good relationship and all the shit that everyone's been saying back and forth and all these pleasantries are true, then you come together and you get a deal done. And it's that simple. So there's a botch, a miscalculation, and an unfortunate reality that they might have to, to, to do here. The botch is that they didn't get the deal done when they had really exclusive negotiating rights throughout this entire offseason. They should have just gotten a deal done. Um, if there was any thought that the, the universal DH might be a thing, I know that there was, there was talk about it's going to go back to normal next year, no universal DH. But like, if it ends up being something that, that could be feasible, say two years down the line, like maybe they revisit it in 2022 and going forward, then there's, there's certainly value there. I know that you and I have talked in the past about like, that probably will end up being a Bryce Harper spot. Uh, towards the tail end of, of his career, at least. And you would think that Reese Hoskins would probably get a lot of time at DH, which maybe lets you move JT to first base and not have to have so much damage and wear and tear on his knees. Okay. Um, that's the botch. The miscalculation that I think is going to happen here is I think that it's likely that McPhail and Klintak said the way to negotiate him down a bit is by seeing what kind of season he has in a 60-game season. Because we talked about this a while back, but like, how do you do an evaluation as a front office in terms of offering a contract? You can't throw the 60 games out, right? Because every front office in baseball is going to want to make this into a, a, a big negotiating point, right? Well, you know, you're usually a 40 home run guy. You're usually a 30 home run guy. You only hit three when you came back for the 60 game season. You know, that doesn't turn out to be too much. Should your power, you know, disappear? Um, I think that's a miscalculation because I don't think that there's much of a chance that JT goes out and craps the bed for 60 games. I don't think that this is, is, is it pertains to real Muto. Like I in general agree with what you're saying. Like I do think that front offices are going to evaluate this 60 game season in order to make some decisions about the free agency market moving forward. But when it comes to a player that is established and has a track record, the way that real Muto does, I don't think that this is about the Philly saying like, hey, hopefully he hits 242 this year and we can lowball him. I think it's more just about the financial impact of what has just happened mm-hmm. combined with the financial uncertainty of what's going to happen with baseball and its labor status beyond 2021. And you compare so, those two issues together, I think that that becomes the issue. And real quick, the DH. I know that everyone keeps talking about the DH and, and how, you know, hey, if he's not the best catcher in baseball anymore, just slot him in as a DH when he's 35. The value of the DH, if it sticks long-term in the National League, which I suspect it will, is that you can take some of the wear and tear off of a player like Real Muto this season, next season, and maybe rather than have him start, I, I don't know, 125 games behind the plate maybe you can lessen that workload and long term that adds up to some additional preservation 
JT okay. Muto, though, as a 35-year-old, just like, oh, let's just make him a DH and it'll be fine. Like, I can tell you right now, I, I, I don't know and I can't predict the future, but I can tell you emphatically right now that JT Real Muto, as a $23 million a year player at age 35, is not going to give you adequate value as a DH. What makes JT Real Muto so valuable is that he provides very good offense especially when you relate it to the position that he plays. But at the end of the day, even if you go back to last year, guy hit 275, 820 OPS, 25 home runs, 83 RBI. That's a really good, solid offensive season. But if you look at DH's first baseman, third baseman, certain outfielders, those numbers are very – they're good. I'm not like scoffing at an 820 OPS, but that, that's not like elite level production for a DH. Now add five more years onto that. So like, yeah, that's where I, I kind of go like, yeah, I understand the DH, but like, let's, so like, here's let's just give him $23 million a year because one day he won't be able to catch anymore, but his bat's going to be so good that we can just have him be the designated hitter. So here's the unfortunate reality. They might have to get to. This is my third point. If they don't think they're close, if they truly believe, I mean, despite what they're saying in public, if they truly believe that there's not going to be a way to get this guy signed, then the unfortunate reality is they might have to trade him. And I don't know what a trade looks like in a 60-game season, but if, if you're looking at this from, a, from an intelligence standpoint and you know the guy's going to be gone and you really don't think that you have much of a chance of contending this year, which I, I don't think they do, then again, you never know. 60-game season, things could go sideways quickly. If you're trying to get a team that that thinks they have to go all in to get themselves into the postseason or a team that otherwise wouldn't have had much of a shot of getting into the postseason gets hot and now all of a sudden they look for reinforcements to get themselves in, you'd be doing a disservice to your organization by not at least exploring it. But I don't know what that looks like. I, again, and, 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 by, and by the way, it's really hard to complete a trade for minor leaguers when there's no minor league season to, to do. You're going off of the previous season's film on a guy, right. which I think makes the evaluation process all the, all the more harder or yeah, all the more difficult. So I don't like saying it. And I'm sure that people don't like the idea of trading him, but like, if you don't think you're close and you don't think there's real value in a 20 plus million dollar a year guy at age 34, 35, it, it sucks. But like the sunken cost of Sixto Sanchez and uh, what's his nuts? Alfaro. Or Alfaro. The sunken costs can't weigh into future expenditures. You've got to you've got to cut bait if you don't think you can bring them back. I agree with that, and I think the prospect point you make uh, is is a really good one. There's also other layers that you have to consider here as well. Like, can a team like the Phillies, who apparently it's time to win, we have our manager Joe Girardi, we signed Bryce Harper, the the moves that the Phillies have made in theory are supposed to be winning moves. Can this team actually fall out of contention 38 days at the trade deadline after the season begins, right? Like, so there will be 38 calendar days between opening day and the August 31st trade deadline. I don't think that the Phillies are a World Series contender, but I would be, it would actually be a collapse of epic proportions to fall that far out of the race where you go into sell mode at the trade deadline. That being said, if that were to happen, it's a consideration. Even if you think you can re-sign JT Real Muto, why wouldn't you go to him and say like, hey, listen, we're going to trade you because we need to add to our team and we can revisit this in a couple of months from now. I mean, like just because you trade him doesn't actually necessarily mean that you close the book on him long term. I doubt that that's the way that they go. The, the other issue that I think you have to look at, and this is the consideration from a team building standpoint, a prospect pool standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. But you sign Bryce Harper, and this is the one thing I can't get over. Like, you go out and you sign Bryce Harper, and you're supposed to usher in this era of, of winning baseball in Philadelphia again. And you go out and you sign Zach Wheeler to this five-year, $118 million deal. What kind of message does it send to the veteran players of your clubhouse and these big-ticket guys if you go out and you trade the best player at a certain position 30 games into a season? And then the other element of it is, what exactly does the return look like? Because forget the prospect issue aside, how willing are teams going to be to part with substantial pieces in an abbreviated season that may not have the same type of weight that, that other seasons have? And 
it's it's not two months of baseball. It's not two and a half months of baseball plus postseason. It's it's like literally thirty games of baseball that you'd be trading, you know, for a player. So there's just so many different variables. I'd be stunned if it went that way, but it is something that you have to at least think about in the back of your mind. It's gonna be painful. Yeah. Just, just, seriously, imagine imagine this fan base if they cut bait and JT goes. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. I mean. The thing Although is, if they if they do trade him though, this is going to be Cliff Lee all over again, right? Isn't this going to be the trade him away? Oh, they're trading him because Matt Klintak's playing seven dimensional chess. They're getting yeah. him back, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, it's just like you said though. You can't you, you can't take sunken costs in the past and then continue to. Like, you have to look at situations as, as they evolve, and so there's a lot of reasons to re-sign JT Real Muto moving forward, but. To me, the one that, that is not the reason is, well, you, you made this trade and you gave up what you gave up, so now you're on the hook for it. I don't, I don't believe that. Like, just compounding errors doesn't necessarily make sense. There's, there's a lot of other reasons to sign JT Romuto, but the gun isn't necessarily to their head because they made that trade. And I know the fans will be pissed, but like, at the end of the day, like, that's not the Phillies' responsibility. Like, their responsibility is to build a good team. If JT Romuto is traded – or they, they part ways with them, but they go out and they utilize that money in a more clever and efficient way, and the Phillies win, then nobody's going to care. I mean, and that's the bottom line. The issue with that is, is do you trust this front office to utilize that money in a more clever and efficient way? And I would say that answer to that is a resounding no. Yes, I hear your laugh. So that's the issue there. Listen. I don't want to go on forever uh, with this show, but there are some things I, I definitely want to touch on. Uh, you know, Joe Girardi, after the Monday night scrimmage, Aaron Nola threw uh, three innings. He looked really sharp in the first two. Third inning, ran into a little bit of trouble, lost command. Uh, he obviously got to camp a few days late. He was asked uh, if Aaron Nola is going to be his opening day starter, and he's been asked that now two different times, and on uh, neither occasion did he commit to Nola as the opening day starter. Specifically, he said, you know, it's, he's in play. Uh, it's a consideration. He looks good. All of the above. But he was unwilling to commit to that. And he actually mentioned Zach Wheeler as a possibility and Vince Velasquez, believe it or not, which I, I, I really was taken aback by that as guys, because of the way that the schedule falls, perhaps either one of them could be the opening day starter, which kind of transitions me into what I, I briefly wanted to touch on. The number five starter, uh, Zach Eflin, uh, looks like after throwing a bullpen on Monday that he is on track and, and probably will be ready to go. To me, it looks like uh, that, that Vince Velasquez is going to be the number five starter. I know that there was some talk about Ranger Suarez trying to implement a lefty into the rotation mix. I know there was some talk about Nick Pavetta versus Vince Velasquez. Nick Pavetta on Saturday, I guess it was, through and was – um, not very good. He struck out the side in the first inning, but gave up some hard contact in between. And then the second inning that he went out there uh, just was absolutely shelled to the tune of five runs. I don't see it with Nick Pavetta. Um, I believe that he's going to end up in the bullpen. And I actually talked to Brian Price on Monday night about Nick Pavetta and his progression and trying to add a change up to his pitch mix. But it's still an evolving process and you can read what price wrote or uh, I'm sorry, you can read what price said on the website. I wrote a story about it, but I think that Nick Pavetta at this point is a two pitch pitcher that does not hold up as a starter. And I think that he's destined to, to be in the bullpen this year. So one of the things that I can tell you at this point is I expect that this rotation will, if all goes according to plan B, Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, Jake Arietta, Zach Eflin, and Vince Velasquez. And I think you're looking at five right-handers once again in the uh, opening, opening week rotation for the Phillies. I tell you exactly what that is. That's a, an experienced professional manager who doesn't want anybody to feel like there's an inherent um, earned status or that there's, there's a, you know, your previous track record is going to, you know, have anything to do with, um, you know, you're standing on the team. I think that's what this is. A, yeah. a good, a good coach, a good manager. Like you don't want these guys to come in feeling like they're entitled to anything. They've got to go out and earn it. The mention of Vince Velasquez, I think is almost kind of like a wink and a nod at Aranola. Like, you know, there's a chance that Zach Wheeler could get the opening day start, but like you have to, you have to be a little bit serious. Vince Velasquez ain't starting opening day. If yeah, it happens, I, I will demand that. for the immediate firing of every, every, everyone. 
Yeah, everyone was upset with Gabe Kapler's first game as, as Philly's manager back in 2018 when he pulled Aaron Nola after 68 pitches against the Braves. He was cruising, and then the bullpen blows it. Starting Vince Velasquez on opening day would be a very bold take uh, by the manager's part. I do think that there could be some of that, what you're talking about. You know, nothing's earned. You know, prior status doesn't matter. Um, it could be more of just a, hey – we just need to see how he physically progresses. I, I think that Aaron Null is a little bit behind schedule. I don't think so much so that, that it, it should really impact his ability to start opening day. I will say, though, on a, from a larger, more macro-level perspective, you're absolutely right. When you talk about like entitlement and status, this team hasn't done anything in years, and especially the last two years where it actually had some expectations. And so – the key for Joe Girardi this season in the current element is how do we navigate COVID-19? How do we keep guys safe? How do we, you know, enforce accountability and getting guys to invest in this? Because as I've said on numerous occasions, I think that that's going to be one of the most important variables in this entire season, maybe even more so than bullpen depth and the starting rotation quality and, you know, lineup dynamics. I think that the ability to invest, hold each other accountable, may be more important in a 60-game season under these conditions than anything. That's Joe Girardi's task, number one. But I do think that Joe Girardi also has to say and find a way to say, you guys haven't done shit the last two years. And I know that there's some high-profile guys in here, and we have some big salary guys in here, and some veteran players that have a little bit of cachet. But guess what? As a team, you guys sucked last year. You yeah. underwhelmed. You won 81 games. You had uh, – you were seven, eight games over 500, two, two and a half months into the season. You've underwhelmed it's, – it's, you've got to kind of break down whatever culture was built under Gabe Kapler that caused that team to fail. He has to somehow rectify that, and I don't know how he does it in this climate, but that is definitely going to be a really important task for him. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting scenario. Like <sighs> – I don't have anything to add. I'm not even going to waste time. <laughs> That's fine. Um, a couple other things that just kind of came out recently that, that I, I want to touch on before we get out of here. We'll, we'll close things up in a moment or two. Sir Anthony Dominguez still hasn't had Tommy John surgery. That was a revelation uh, that came out uh, again. He was uh, Joe Girardi was asked about that actually a couple weeks ago, and then he confirmed that that is still yet to happen. I don't understand what the deal is there. I know that elective surgeries because of COVID-19 were initially put off. I know that there were some travel limitations with Sir Anthony as well, but the fact that that surgery is still yet to occur, I would say very much jeopardizes his availability for the 2021 season at this point. So you could be going almost three full calendar years now before you see Sir Anthony Dominguez return. And at that point, who knows if he'll look anything like he did uh, when he first burst onto the scene in 2018. Victor Arano uh, threw to some live uh, hitters uh, prior to uh, Monday night scrimmage. Uh, I believe that he's very much in the mix for an important bullpen spot for this team. Uh, Zach Eflin, as I mentioned a couple minutes ago, threw a bullpen. Brian Price called it a beautiful bullpen session, which I love. I can, can only imagine what the reaction would have been had Gabe Kapler used that adjective to describe a bullpen. Uh, Eniel De Los Santos, Robert Stock were both optioned. Uh, procedural moves, Joe Girardi says that both could still make the team. Anything else I'm missing? Oh, Spencer Howard. I don't expect Spencer Howard to uh, be on the opening day roster. Uh, talked to Brian Price uh, during his media availability on Monday night. And while he is very much up on Spencer Howard, and I believe that the team still remains extremely high on him, uh, I, I do think that the cautious nature of the Phillies organization is part of it. And I also think they want to manipulate the service time. So while I do think that Spencer Howard uh, will throw meaningful innings for the uh, Phillies in 2020, I at this point, and this could change for a variety of reasons, but I would be surprised if he was this team's number five starter uh, for sure. And I would be surprised if even he opens the season in the Phillies bullpen, but I do think he would arrive shortly thereafter. Uh, so just a couple takeaways, things that I've noticed, some of the question marks around this team are starting to come into focus a little bit. Uh, so those are some uh, little odds and ends here before we uh, get out of here. Russ, do you have anything else for the good of the order before we shut it down? I'm excited for Phillies baseball. Yeah, we're almost there. We're almost there. We're almost there. Uh, as we record this, we're 10 days away. So next Friday night in Philadelphia, Phillies-Marlins, three games set, and then the Phillies host, uh, I believe, the Yankees following that. So we are almost there. It, it is starting to look and feel 
like the return of sports uh, is finally coming back besides, you know, an, an offhand UFC event and golf tournament and NASCAR race. So we are getting to the, we're getting to, I wanted to say the finish line, but we're getting to the starting line here in the coming days. So it is exciting. Uh, in terms of uh, crossing broad, make sure that you're reading Russ's stuff. Flyers are starting up. He's starting to cover the team. Even if he's doing it from afar right now, make sure that you check out his Flyers coverage. Also, be sure to check out Snow the Goalie. I'm not going to give you all those adjectives and all those superlatives that you like to throw out about the show, but it is the best Flyers podcast, uh, hands down, bar none. Make sure that you check that out with him and Anthony Sanfilippo, wherever you get your podcasts. And you're a sweetheart, you know that? You I are. You're, you're an absolute sweetheart. Uh, you know, Cinch, make sure I'm not doing the read. I don't care. But make sure if you are getting propane gas that you get Cinch. You've got to use Cinch. And if you are going to bet on sports, you better use DraftKings Sportsbook. Mm -hmm. thousand, up to $1,000 in free bets, daily odds boosts, futures. You want to bet on La Liga, you can do it. You want to bet on who's going to win the Stanley Cup, you can do it. Mm -hmm. You can bet on anything with DraftKings sure Sportsbook. So make sure that you're taking care of your gambling needs with DraftKings. <laughs> gambling uh, needs. Yeah, you're for all these <laughs> gambling needs. And uh, as far as Crossed Up goes, we will be back later this week. Anthony will return. He'll join me. We'll talk about whatever the hell happens between now and then. And Russ, it looks like you have one more thing as you, you stick your finger up here on the Zoom. Go ahead. I, I have one more thing for you, Bob. It's a five-star review that you got. Ah, it's a five-star review, and my name is mentioned in it, so I'm going to be a narcissist. Great Phillies podcast, five stars. I can't pull a Russ Joy and say it's the only Phillies podcast because I do love High Hopes as well, but I started listening uh, over the last month, and I really do enjoy listening to Bob and Anthony talk baseball, and they had some really great interviews as well, especially Jim Eisenreich. This pod is definitely a part of my weekly playlist, in, uh, joining Snow the Goalie as I listen on my drive to and from work. Great work, guys, and go Phils. How about that? That's from Dr. JS over on iTunes. I love it. I love it. Make sure you go over to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review for Bob and for Anthony because they're fantastic. And by the way, fill up your propane tank with Cinch, C-Y-N-C-H dot com. Use the promo code, it's lit five, all one word, $10. Put your old tank outside. They'll bring a new one to your doorstep. See, that's how we pay the bills, Bob. There you go. Cinch and DraftKings. What else do you need? I don't know, but I will tell you that I'm probably going to insert a couple of commercials into this episode via megaphone just to help pay the bills. You know, big that Bob. Hey, you know? We got we got to get you some gas money for going down and covering the uh, the Phillies' Dennis Bank Park. So, all right, thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> <laughs>